one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. Alright and welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is episode 613, which is part 2 of a two-part special on Space Fest and some other events that occurred out in California, space-related, in the month of May. If you missed part 1, be sure to go back to our website, TalkingSpaceOnline.com, and check out episode 612 so you can catch up on everything you missed of the first half of Space Fest. And joining me for that first half and again for the second half is gene mcculka welcome back gene oh glad to be here sawyer and we'll be even more honored to go ahead and talk about a wonderful trip we had earlier yeah so let's just dive right back into the conversation there was a lot of those little things too but of course in addition to the personal moments they had the talks now is there any talks in particular that you want to focus on or do you just want to mention them and oh wow do i ever go for it Oh, wow, do I ever. Uh, first, for, for those of you who aren't familiar with a gentleman by the name of Mark Raymond, uh, Mark is uh, a gentleman that is uh, working on the, uh, the Dawn team. He's, uh, he's one of the engineers, but uh, he's, he's uh, quite an accomplished gentleman in and of himself. I'm looking at the Planetary Society now that has a... Uh, um, a little bit of a uh, dossier on him here, just to uh, uh, give you a little bit of a rundown. He uh, received his uh, master's in physics from the University of Colorado at Boulder. He received a PhD also, and uh, he's been with NASA for some time. Um, and, but he gave an a, a absolutely exquisite presentation on the Dawn mission. Now, if, if you guys have are not familiar with him, um, he's got a wonderful blog uh, on the uh, on the Jet Propulsion Laboratory website. We'll post it up on the website, but I'll 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 name I'll I'll, I'll give you the the link here. It's blogs b l b l o g s dot j p l dot nasa dot gov forward slash tag forward slash mark m a r c dash Raymond r a Y M A N, and of course um, that'll be in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Um, he he writes the same way he talks, and if he's an exquisite writer, but he also sprinkles a little bit of an element of humor in 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 his his writing, uh, just as much as he did at his presentations. He I, I shook his hand after the presentation. And I said, "Sir, you flat out took me to school on how to do." A presentation specifically on science. I have not seen somebody use PowerPoint 
in the creative way that he used it to go ahead and tell the story of the Dawn mission and how what it, it discovered in its journey uh, to Vesta and, and where it's going next, which is uh, the other, another asteroid called Ceres. And I believe that encounter is going to be just as Space Fest 7 starts next year. I think the, the, the serious encounter is going to be in April of, uh, uh, of next year. And uh, I believe Space Fest 7, if they do decide to go with it, is going to be the following month in May. So I'm hoping Mark will, will return and talk more about, about what they discovered at, uh, at Ceres. He's had a very inventive way of using, using PowerPoint. If you folks have sat through PowerPoint presentations, everybody kind of just puts their notes up on the slide and, and says stuff. This guy, it, it was just a colossal way of using it. Graphics, uh, different types of animation, uh, different types of little little movies and so on. Like for instance, um, one of the things that uh, he was trying to, to say about the Ion engine was it was held up as, as, as science fiction for a long time. Even they made a big deal of it uh, in, in the early Star Trek episodes. In fact, he remembers as, as a kid sitting around talking about the Ion engine and, and, and even even Star Trek being dazzled about it. In fact, he played clips of, you know, Scotty being blown away by the Ion engine and said, well, you know, hey, we've, we've got it already. And apparently it's something that the Federation couldn't do, but NASA figured out a way to do it. Um, but, he, I mean, it, the, the, even the end of it, he, he was going ahead and saying, uh, you know, hang around for, for the next talk, which uh, was uh, Mr. Anatoly Zak talking about the the Russian um, present the the Russian program. We'll get to that in a second. Um, you know, do this and also stop off and get you know get food for the cat. And he showed a picture of his cat. You know, I mean, it was he he's got a very very interesting dry humor about him that was just just made made going through a lot of this a whole lot of fun, and it made it fun for the audience. It had had them rolling the aisles, but they also walked away. With, with knowledge on, on what JPL has done with Dawn and what Dawn's future is going to be, and also a little bit about maybe a follow-on mission if the money's there. So uh, it, it's going to be exciting you know, for some, some really, really cool days coming ahead for the Dawn mission. That's a mission, by the way, that almost didn't fly. And if it wasn't for a letter-writing campaign, uh, it, uh, uh, it it was it was saved. In fact, the Bush administration, if I recall, almost put that thing permanently in a, in a deep freeze for a little while, and the spacecraft was complete. So, in my in, in my eyes, it, it absolutely made no sense whatsoever to try to defund the spacecraft. But they were trying to do it, and uh, lo and behold, you know, G. Willikers, the money was found to go ahead and launch this thing, and lo and behold, now it's doing some groundbreaking science and. Uh, I, I was totally blown away by, by this gentleman. I'm hoping to get him on this program eventually uh, to uh, to discuss Vesta in, in in great detail and to talk about his role at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory because I, it's a gentleman I, that I walked away away from that 
uh, I have a whole whole new new renewed respect for him. Just an amazing amazing fellow. Um, enjoy the blog, by the way. It's it's absolutely you know you'll 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 have fun learning, and you'll have fun uh, uh, learning more about what 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 Dawn's doing, and you'll have fun digesting about uh, what what's happened with Vesta and what's going to happen with Sirius. So so read the blog. It's amazing. Um, one of the other things that we we talked about was Anatoly Zach's Zach's uh, presentation. After that, um, if you folks are familiar, he follows the Russian space program quite closely, and especially in the current political climate, he had a lot to say about what what what's been happening right now. But he approached it from you know his role as a as a journalist and his role as as a as a space historian. Rather than from a policy standpoint, he kind of veered away a little bit from that because just a it's just not his forte, and b he would seem to be more comfortable reporting about what's coming up with the Russian program. Um, it, from what I gathered with his talk, there's a lot of stuff going on with the program, but they are going it alone, meaning they are gearing up for. Um, you know they're going to become more and more dependent on themselves. Uh, there was some discussion about what they're going to do post ISS. They're still sort of yelling and screaming that they're they want to go ahead and leave the ISS after 2020. Uh, nobody's filed the paperwork for that, so I'm, I kind of find that hard to believe. But um, we'll just stay tuned as as we go we we go forward. Um, but they're talking about using those modules as the heart of a whole new station. They, they're also talking about uh, bringing up a module for the current configuration um, that would be that would initiate their own power supply, meaning that they would be uh, depend no longer dependent on the American side to deliver power to the Russian side. They would have their own power generation systems. Um, okay, um, if that's what what really they have up their sleeve, I'm not too sure. If, if that's really going to happen or not, stay tuned. But they were talking about other things. Um, there, the replacement for the Soyuz, which, oddly enough, kind of looks like the Orion in, in, in some ways. Um, and I'm not, you know, it, it holds about six peop people rather than, than our, uh, the Orion also was supposed to hold about six people. Now it only holds, I think, four you know, oddly enough, the configuration is very Orion similar, uh, and they're also talking about getting their own version of the space launch system going. They seem to be mirroring what we're doing. Um, but the interesting thing at the end of the talk was a discussion about a possible permanent lunar base by 2040, 2050. Uh, this lunar base was supposedly going to be nuclear powered. And I turned to one of the folks, and and I just just kind of leaned over and I said, you know, where's Jerry Anderson when we need him? Um, and of course, you know, being British, kind of laughed at that one because, you know, he had the same. I guess he was he was thinking the same thing I was. If anybody knows the the British science fiction series Space 1999, started by Jerry Anderson, you know what happened there? You know, the moon got blasted out of the Earth's orbit because of a nuclear accident. Well, um, we're, we were still kind of figuring out how the heck they're going to go ahead and set up uh, a nuclear, you know, a nuclear-powered uh, lunar base over there. But, but okay, fine. 
if that's really, really what their aspirations are. It's, it's again, the, the Russians, they tend to be a little bit foggy. They tend to be reactionary as well with a lot of things. And I'm not too sure any of this really is, is, is going to happen. The only thing I am darn sure of is that the proton booster, which uh, this audience probably already knows, had a little bit of a wrinkle a couple of weeks ago. Uh, with launching a communication satellite, um, it, the satellite did not make orbit um, due to a failure in, I believe, it was the third stage of the uh, of the proton booster. Um, there is going to be a replacement for the proton booster. It will be launched primarily out of the new Russian facility um, in, in Pliesk rather than Baikonur, which is in Kazakhstan. Uh, in fact, a lot of the activity that uh, you normally see at Baikonur may not be going on in Baikonur for very long. It may be all be happening over at uh, Pliesk, so we'll have to see. Uh, but, but that was another eye-opening presentation, and, and hats off to Anatoly Zach. Thanks so much for uh, regaling us with that. But there were so many others. One, again, uh, Kimberly and Sina Smith with the, um, the New Horizons mission gave a, an interesting presentation as well uh, toward the, uh, I believe that was Sunday, uh, talking more and more about the plans that, that um, they have for uh, for New Horizons and and what's going to be happening with that mission. New Horizons, for those of you who do not know, is the um, mission that is going to be doing a very quick flyby of Pluto uh, in early 2015, and uh, we'll be watching that as uh, as as it gets closer and closer to Pluto. But also, um, that will also fly just in time, okay, for next year's Space Fest. So I'm hoping the, new, the Horizons team that uh, uh, was here for um, Space Fest 6 will re- be returning for 7 to talk about in depth what the findings were around Pluto. In fact, there's some scuttlebutt now that Pluto may be reinstated as a planet. I don't know if you heard about that one, Sawyer, but uh, it, it might very well be, so we'll have to see. I, I always thought that, that the flyby was probably going to be the uh, determining factor, I thought, for either you know keeping Pluto where it was in this dwarf planet category or uh, promoting it back into into the world of planets again. We'll just have to see what uh, the uh, International Astronomical Union says after uh, the flyby. So it should be interesting there. But there's some little, there was some scuttlebutt I saw on the internet um, about Pluto possibly being reinstated by uh, the International uh, Astronomical Union. We'll just have to have to wait and see on that. Uh, but that's just a smattering of some of the presentations that were there. You know, well worth the 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 price tag of admission and for folks that were local I hope uh, to to the Pasadena area I hope you had a chance to stop in and just see what was going on and uh, uh, yeah hopefully wherever the venue is going to be next year and and rumor has it it might be back in Pasadena it might be back in Arizona we don't know yet but um, uh, I'm hoping that folks do decide to to join the festivities because it's going to be a, a quite a quite a deal indeed exactly i mean there was panels on comets with um david levy and thomas bopp there was a curiosity panel uh, with all the major players in the mission including everyone's favorite nasa mohawk guy aka bobak fredowski 
there was a Voyager reunion panel. Dr. Ed Stone was there. That was amazing. Jeff Nockin gave one of his famous talks, which are always hysterical and enjoyable. Um, oh, good Lord, yeah. I mean, Jeff was, was a riot, but he also had some extraordinary insights, too, on the uh, on the panel. Um, I don't, sorry, don't know if you were there as, as part of that one, but he had some really good insights about the, uh, uh, the Minor Planets uh, panel that occurred. Um, as well, so uh, that was the he, fabulous guy uh, and, and, and the quintessential gentleman. Yeah, again, there's so many of them. We've got clips from all of them, but I, I don't even think that that would do it justice. This was another great event. Um, so what was the overall opinion that you got from the people that you talked to about this year's Space Fest? Oh, boy. Um, we had a little bit of a, uh, at the end of the, uh, at the end of the event, um, Monday was a tourist day for a lot of us and the group I was with, we decided to trudge into Hollywood and, and take all that in and, and that, that was a circus, but we came back and had a good frank talk about the event itself and, and overall how it worked and, um, everybody gave, uh, Kim and Sally Poor and the other folks that organized the event, uh, you know, hats off. They really, for the for the re the resources they've got, and they are limited. They did an incredible job um, as far as getting everything together. There were some challenges along the way. I'm not going to go into all of them, um, probably because I'm not really at liberty to go into all, into a lot of them. But um, there were some challenges along the way. But but they were able to overcome them, and there were some little bumps in the road. Um, but we still had, I think, a fairly successful event. Um, and uh, I know a lot of the vendors over there, particularly a few of the artists I talked to, they had a pretty good. They they had a pretty good. Uh, they had a pretty good event. There was some folks buying stuff, so it was a profitable event for for uh, the artists. All in all, um, I think, uh, other than what we talked about at the top of the program. With with the venue itself uh, getting adjusted to having the the ven the actual conference off site, meaning um, having the hotel only play host to like maybe one or two of the uh, of the events. I think sorry, the only thing the only thing really the the hotel actually played host to was the uh, was the uh, uh, the dinner on on on. Um, on uh, Saturday evening, really? No, my my in error. Um, actually, it hosted two. Okay. Uh, there was both the uh, the banquet dinner, and there was also the um, the mixer, the VIP. Oh mixer. yes! How did I forget? Oh wow, that's another event that um, bore some some very interesting conversation there. Um, I I ran into um, to Jerry Griffin. Uh, who of uh, of Mission Control fam, and um, just you know on the off chance, I just bought the man a beer, and that led to and I, it was just a thank you, and that's all it was, um, just to to say thanks for everything you particularly did, your team particularly did, um, and. And just to, to really just say, you know, I'm proud. I'm, I'm, I'm proud. You know, I look at you and what your team did, and I'm proud to be, be, a, be a U.S. citizen. 
because you, it was folks like you that, that made me proud. And um, it, it went into a three-hour conversation, no joke, of, of where we're going, where the program is, and, and so on. I'm not going to go ahead and, and, and go through a lot of that because I'm, I'm probably really not at liberty to, to, to say a lot of it. Uh, because, um, but it, it, we both kind of agreed that um, we're we really need to adjust where we're going right now. Uh, the program is currently in the doldrums, and there just seems to be a lot of confusion out there as far as the direction it should take. I mean, just this week, Sawyer, we had yet another study from the National Research Council saying that uh, uh, our, our Mars path. Uh, just won't won't work, and that this flexible path thing just is not going to work. You just can't simply do demonstrations along the way. You have to have a clear pathway um, to Mars with you know technological milestones along the way. Gee, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hello, Apollo. And um, you need to have something Apollo didn't have, which was an off-ramp should you decide not to do that and do a technological off-ramp but have an alternate destination for that. And, uh, um, you know, but that I think is another study that I think is just going to be fodder for somebody's master's degree and it's just going to languish up there along with the rest of them. Um, I think the decision really was, you know, the consensus really was between us and between the other folks that that, that stopped by was that uh, we should, we really need a clear path and we really don't have that yet and there's a lack of leadership, not just um, on the executive level but also on the legislative le level. There just seems to be a lot of bickering going on in Congress, a lot of partisan bickering and that's not going to get us anywhere. So, you know, things have really, really got to change. And, and that was really the general consensus. We really need that leadership back. And there's a leadership vacuum. And until we get that vacuum sealed up, we're not going to be on the path that we should be. And I think that was really, really the point. But just, just having the privilege of talking to somebody from that stat, of, of that stature was, was just, oh, Wow. And there were other folks that stopped by. Walt Cunningham, who's been on our program before, uh, he stopped by. We had a nice little chit-chat. Uh, astronaut Jim McDivitt again stopped by, you know, as, as we were talking. Um, uh, you know, it, it just added a lot more nuances to, to the fire of, of the discussion. And, uh, you know, I, again, I, I don't, I'm not really at liberty to, to talk because the, it was totally off the record. And I'm going to keep it that way, but um, I, I kind of gave you folks a flavor of what what our general thoughts were. Um, but that again is one of those moments that I'm going to walk away with from Space Fest Six is just having these chance meetings and having these the, the, these opportunities to talk to these giants uh, and 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 pick their brains and. And and get the feel of, of where we're now right now and, and if they were in a in a position to make a decision, where would they go? And and it was it was just a fabulous opportunity. So Sora, thanks for bringing that up. You know, I almost I almost slipped on that. No problem. That reminded me also of the banquet event, which uh, was another great event. And a big shout out to Carter Emmart, who is in charge of 
uh, astro visualizations over at the Hayden Planetarium at the Museum of Natural History in New York City. Um, he gave a great talk and um, took us all on a tour through the uh, through the solar system and a little bit beyond as well, showing us the space station, uh, going over the moon, including a couple of the landing sites. That was really interesting. Taking a look at Mars and going into the Valles Marineris and it was just a really great talk as well, and I got to sit with Al Bean and talk with him, who had some amazing stories, which um, I'll hold off on sharing, but they are some stories of a lifetime, including some interesting stories about um, getting back into the spacecraft on Apollo 11, not even his mission, but some great stories and talks about... Um, what he looks for in artwork and how he does look at other people's artworks and if there's things he doesn't know he wants to learn them and he can tell just by looking if an artist is more or less uh, further along in their career in terms of technique than he is and if he wants to know something that he doesn't know he'll write them and say help me out here how'd you do this yeah, um, you're not the only one one that to, to make that observation. I got that also from uh, uh, from Lucy West when I talked to her because I believe her and, and Al Bean and now you know that they got uh, they got sort of known together at Space Fest Four um, when Lucy uh, won the uh, the uh, artist event there. She got first prize, <laughs> and she was a she was a last minute replacement. She ended up winning the. Uh, the the new artist event, which was kind of, I mean, the the artist event, which was kind of kind of neat. Um, but again, she talked with Alan, and and I believe you know now they're they're now they're great friends. But uh, they've kind of you know she's gotten to um, you know she's learned a lot from Alan and and vice versa. So. Um, it, it, it's also a place too, if if you're a fellow artist, that you can collaborate as well. I also want to give a, a really good shout out to another artist that was over there, Ron Ron Woods, uh, who uh, was a spacesuit technician uh, all during the space program, uh, pretty much uh, from Apollo through shuttle through Gemini. Um, he uh, also gave a really grand talk at the STS-132 tweet-up, and I remembered him from that event, and I got to talk to him a little bit more about, about his career and so on, and, and I, I really want him, we're going to try to see if I can, if I can get him here to, to talk more about that, because that, again, he's, he's had a dazzling career with NASA, and he's trying to translate, like Alan Bean has, um, he's trying to translate his experiences uh, through his artwork, and he's he's done some amazing stuff. Yeah, so it was an absolutely great event. A uh, big thank you to Kim and Sally Poor for uh, helping to put this all together, and everybody who helped make it possible. But uh, it wasn't just the event that made it great. Like we talked uh, about enter, like we talked about seeing the shuttle exhibits. Um, I know one night I got together with a group of people and we enjoyed some nachos and sat by the pool to end the event. However, I know you then went off and ended your Space Fest run with something even cooler. There was a whole group of us that uh, made a little bit of a pilgrimage. Um, first, the whole this particular group, we are a whole bunch of amateur astronomers. Um, and uh, as... Um, a little bit of a, a side trip, and we knew that, that this was going to be a side trip. Uh, we decided that uh, well, we're, we're going to go. We're going to go ahead and um, 
uh, go to uh, the, the, the observatory over at Mount Wilson. And I have to give a public shout out to uh, Mr. John Richards, who organized that event. Uh, uh, he, he put that out there on the, um, on, on the Facebook page that the attendees were, were using. And um, he figured that, you know, he figured out what, what it was going to cost and what have you. Um, but, uh, you know, hats off, John. You, you probably put the icing on the cake as far as, far as Space Fest 6 did um, for all of us. So uh, much appreciated. Uh, now, Mount Wilson uh, has an interesting history around it. It was... Uh, uh, it's a uh, it's a place that was constructed when uh, you know we were talking about the uh, the clear skies over uh, over Los Angeles. There, um, this was back over in uh, 1904, and the place was actually founded by uh, none other than George uh, Ellery Hale of Hale Telescope fame over in Mount Palomar. Um, that is the 200-inch telescope there, but um, uh, this was this was built first. And uh, Mount Wilson actually consists of several uh, observatories. One of which is a 150-foot solar observatory that is still in use today, kind of sorta. Um, it, it still does. It's still capable of doing some really good solar astronomy. But because of the many space-based vehicles that we have right now, uh, it, it's basically well, it's basically antiquated. Uh, but it is still being—it's it, not exactly being used, but it—it's—it's it's still getting measurements and it's still taking down some very good astronomy, uh, some very good solar astronomy. Uh, at least it's being pushed to the limit that it that it can right now. Um, but Mount Wilson's real claim to fame are two telescopes. One is a 60-inch telescope, and the other is a 100-inch telescope. And um, our arc team of of several individuals uh, got to go ahead and and use the 60-inch telescope. We rented some time on that for basically most of the evening and uh we our our our, our team showed up uh we got a wonderful tour of the facilities uh hats off to everybody over there that rolled out the red carpet for us we really do appreciate it because gang you really took good care of us as far as the tour is concerned um but from a personal standpoint um it was a bit of a it was a bit of a bit of a pilgrimage for me because there was a a gentleman uh, that helped build this facility that ultimately his own history would become tied to it. And uh, he, this gentleman has a very interesting story. Gentleman's name was Milton Hummison, and uh, he was he was featured in um, the very the, the the first Cosmos episode, which by the way was definitely filmed there. At the 100-inch telescope, for for at least the, uh, the the sequences introducing this man, and um, to to give you a little bit of his history of uh, of of Mr. Hummison, though, he was the son of a of a banker that you know was not exactly doing okay, but was getting by, 
Um, and uh, he was looking for work and became a mule team driver. And it took mule teams to get up the rugged mountain that was Mount Wilson to help build this facility. And uh, he had a sort of a natural curiosity about uh, the instruments and the, and the construction materials and, and, and this thing that he was, he was hauling up Mount Wilson um, and, and decided he was going to stay on as a janitor and an electrician. Um, well, one night, so legend goes, um, the uh, night assistant for one of the astronomers fell ill. And Hummison was asked to fill in, so he did. And he found out that, hey, guess what? I've got a real good natu na you know, natural affinity for this equipment. I can really handle it. I'm really good at it. Um, and as Dr. Carl Sagan said in, in the Cosmos episode that I'm thinking about, is he became the virtuoso of the uh, 160 inch, inch telescopes. Um, these were, by the way, instruments, both of these instruments, the 60-inch telescope and the 100-inch telescope that are sitting on Mount Wilson. Um, astronomers of the day used these instruments. You know, not just Thomason, but Edwin Hubble also used both of these instruments. Albert Einstein used both of these instruments. So that they have a, a very... <laughs> They're, they're, they're very deeply ingrained in history. Um, and here we were, uh, this merry band of, of uh, amateur astronomers, were going to go ahead and use these instruments ourselves uh, and, and do a whole program that night of uh, observing and, and seeing some exquisite images of, uh, and seeing actually not just images, but the actual objects themselves. Uh, not we 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 used the sixty-inch telescope, and 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 using the sixty-inch telescope, by the way, is no small affair. It, it, today, it's it's not you know you don't have the mechanical pointing. It's all pointed by computer. You just tap in the um, you know the, the the right ascension declination, and and off to the races you go. Um, but getting up to look at the, these things, in some instances, because of the way the telescope turns and so on, is, is kind of a, an interesting trick. And you need a, a little bit of a ladder, or, or in this case, it was one of these ladders that you see in, in stores that have their own little porch on them. But uh, uh, you have to go ahead and be very, very careful walking up and down this thing. To go ahead and and um, uh, view the view the the object that you're aiming at through the eyepiece, but it's it's well worth the walk. Trust me. Uh, the objects we we saw some planetary objects, you know, Jupiter and it's it's the four Galilean moons. Um, we saw Saturn. Uh, we saw. Uh, the furthest quasar that you could possibly see uh, with uh, from here on Earth. Uh, some, you know, if, if you're ready for this, some 12 billion light years away. So we're, you know, it's, it's an awesome thought when you see this. It looks like sort of even through the 60-inch scope, it kind of looks like a little smudge. 
But when, when you think about it, it took, you know, those photons 12 billion years to reach your, your, your retina there. And it's a staggering thought if, if, if you think about it. Uh, you know, we took a voyage with, with, with uh, uh, globular clusters. We took a voyage uh, you know, with, with some of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Messier objects. Uh, it, was, it was just a stunning privilege to actually use an instrument that helped break through astronomy of that period of time. To give you an idea, by the way, getting back to, to, to Milton Humason, I never really did finish his story. But um, uh, once Humason started, uh, he was taken under, under wing by, uh, by none other than Edwin Hubble. And Humason and Hubble were the ones that, that, that devised or helped build the Big Bang Theory. Humason was the one that took all the measurements and... and uh, really, really uh, sort of hermetically sealed that theory. He was the one that noticed that all of the galaxies around us were receding. They were all red-shifted. And uh, uh, that pretty much sealed the, you know, the evidence for the Big Bang. Now it's, you know, the, I, I saw an article, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago, um, Talk, bringing the Big Bang theory into some question, but uh, I'm I'm not too sure exactly where that went. Uh, but but right now it's still holding up, and uh, uh, the evidence for the Big Bang theory was built on observations made at Mount Wilson and primarily by Milton Humason. So uh, we were. Um, it, it was it was kind of a privilege to to go ahead and use that very instrument that 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 theory was was helped put together by by the instrumentation there. Um, right now, the only telescope that's operational, as far as if you want to rent time on it, is the sixty inch scope. However, next year the one hundred inch telescope, which is the real big guy, um, it should be ready. Uh, for um, for use by anybody that wants to rent time on it. So if you're so inclined, uh, go to uh, www.mountwilson.edu and uh, take a look at over there and arrange for a visit, arrange for, for a tour. And if you're so inclined, um, you can rent time Right now, you can rent time on the 60-inch telescope, but later on, you're going to be able to rent time both on the 60-inch scope and the 100-inch scope beginning next year, or, or so we hope. Um, I, I was like a little kid in a candy store, so I'll be, I'll be honest. I mean, it, it harkened back to uh, my days when I was a planetarium presenter over at the County College of Morris Planetarium, not too far away from where, where I am now over in Randolph, New Jersey. Um, this was back in the 1990s with my own mentor, um, a gentleman by the name, name of Dr. Albert Stoner. And uh, on, a, on a personal note, um, and this was one of the reasons why it was a going to Mount Wilson was sort of a pilgrimage for me, was that um, Al often uh, compared me to 
well, no, Nonason. Here I was. I really didn't know a lot. You know, I didn't have the, um, you know, the academic credentials of say, you know, a doc, somebody with a doctorate in astronomy. But um, Sawyer, as as we've been talking, um, enthusiasm makes all the difference. And and as um, a few other folks pointed out to you. Uh, sorry about your enthusiasm, your passion. That all makes the difference in in what you're going to do and how you're going to communicate the subject that you're talking about. Because if you you don't have a passion for what you're doing, that that's just not going to come out. It's not going to stick to your audience. You know, Al kind of compared me in a, in a way to to Milton Hamilton, somebody coming in, you know, that just simply had a passion for it for what he wanted to do and and just let the road take him take him in that direction. Um, and so thanks to uh, um, to Dr. Stoner, Milton Humison became a little bit of a hero to me. And uh, um, I kind of being in this environment where he worked was was kind of kind of an interesting deal and kind of an interesting uh, Interesting moment for me personally. So, um, but I there was a bunch of folks that I was surrounded again. Members of the Brit Army, you know who you are. We we were all there, and that also made that night special. Um, at the end of the night, we got you know underneath the, the the scope, if you will, and saw the mechanics of of how the how the machine actually operates and how how the scope is turned and so on. I, I really have to give the hat, you know, a, 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 a huge round of applause to the folks that work there. And, and again, if, if you're in the LA area and want to do some serious astronomy for a little bit, try to see if you can go ahead and, and, and rent time on, on, on these scopes or at least visit the facility. It's a, it's, it's, it's just a, I mean, if, if, even if you, you've just got a passing interest in astronomy, it is a fantastic place to visit. I really, really, really encourage you to go. So, again, uh, my, my hat's off to Mr. John Richards for, for going ahead and putting this whole thing together for us. And uh, if we are in the area again next year for Space Fest 7, I'm sure we're going to have a repeat performance. But, um, Sora, thanks for the time for, for allowing me to communicate that to, uh, to our listeners because it was just an amazing, amazing evening of, uh, of astronomical history and, of course, astronomical observation. And uh, I'll, I'll give you some uh, photographs so we can put that up on the website. It was just amazing. Oh, yeah, a lot of information in there, some great information. Thank you for sharing that. So, Space Fest was great and all, but not only was there Space Fest, but the following weekend in Los Angeles, which was about 40 minutes away from where we were in Pasadena, was ISDC, which Gene, you've already talked about in this two-part special. Um, And that's another event, which actually we're gonna get to hear from Mark, who talked to one of the main organizers behind ISDC. And although this was recorded before ISDC occurred, we still think it's got some interesting information about the event, even though we couldn't physically be there ourselves. Uh, so, Mark, let you take it away with our special guest. Well, I hope everyone is ready to hear a bit about the 33rd Annual International Space Development Conference. I'm going to be referring to it as ISDC because I like acronyms. 
at the conference this year, there's five subtracks among 11 confirmed tracks that I see on the website. And if I look at this on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being ho-hum and 10 being wow, I can't wait, this looks like an 11 or more. This ISDC 2014 event looks even better when you hear that the theme is a space renaissance. Our guest has a background in, well, you name it. She's done presentations on topics of space travel, commercial space, peaceful uses of outer space with the UN committee. She's a member of Women in Film and Technology, Canadian Women in Technology, the Canadian Space Commerce Association, the Iranian American Women's Foundation, and is president, which we'll hear more about that in a second, of the Space Tourism Society of Canada. It's my pleasure to have the co-chair of the Space Engagement Track at ISDC 2014 on this episode. Welcome, Azam Shigagi, to Talking Space. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate uh, for the time and the opportunity that you gave me today, and, um, and hello uh, to the audience. We've got a lot to talk about. That's correct. The International Space uh, Development Conference this year, 2014, is, is going to be held in uh, Los Angeles, California, and there are uh, a very interesting, and especially the VIP speakers, uh, are included uh, Buzz Aldrin, uh, Elon Musk, um, even uh, LA Mayor is going to be there as a keynote speaker, along with a lot of uh, other um, celebrities uh, that are actually active in the aerospace industry, astronauts especially, and um, very, un uh, very uh, successful entrepreneurs, uh, venture capitalists, engineers, and scientists including women and men in the industry. And uh, this year, uh, I've been very happy and lucky to be the co-chair of the Space Engagement Track, which is the biggest uh, track of ISDC, International Space Development Conference, which uh, showcases organizations and projects and activities that aim to the uh, higher education and engaging and inspiring the public specifically uh, about the outer space. The space engagement track also uh, actually bringing uh, more innovation into uh, this year's activity, which is involving people uh, with the role uh, models, uh, such as astronauts, uh, during the panels. So uh, the attendees and public uh, can also attend um, and uh, get engaged with the astronauts and uh, the industry players face-to-face, one-on-one, in order to ask their direct questions and hear more about even their personal perspectives uh, on uh, certain issues and uh, certain topics. And it uh, involves all the ages, even high school students and college university students, um, till the very um, uh, beyond uh, that level. So um, basically what I can say about space engagement track in one sentence is about the STEM. Uh, it's a science, technology, uh, engineering, and math, sustainability, and environment. And we are also including the global challenges and security to this aspect. Uh, specifically law and international relations and affairs. That is a very interesting assortment that uh, that you'll have there. 
how many days does the space engagement uh, track or program, how many days does that run? It's actually starting from Thursday, four days till Sunday afternoon. And it uh, covers um, every day. We have different topics. Uh, we have different panels. It's all included. We are featuring movie, The Orphans of Apollo, on one of the days. And also there is Women in Space panel, Global Space panel, and Space Media panel. We have producers, journalists, uh, people that actually have been working in this area for, for many years. They are authors that are writing books about space and science and scientific topics. We also have astronauts and uh, uh, people that are very publicly involved with aerospace industry and public awareness. Uh, that caught my eye, and that was something that one of your associates actually sent me a, uh, an image of, and that was my first realization uh, how unique the space engagement track is. Could you talk about that panel and the speakers that are going to be part of that? Um, yes, the Space uh, uh, Engagement Track Women in Space panel is uh, consisted of uh, four uh, panelists and the moderator. I'm actually the moderator myself. And we have uh, the first Korean astronaut, Soyeon Y, um, Loretta Whiteside's uh, Zero G flight director, and uh, Yuri's Knight co founder. Uh, Ariane Cornell, uh, she's the co-president at Harvard Business Aerospace School and Aviation. And Janet Ivey, she's uh, CEO, CCO of Janet Planet Inc. Basically, what we are trying to cover in the uh, Women in Space panel is having a review of all the achievements and accomplishments that women have made during the history in the aerospace industry um, uh, from the beginning of uh, going to space. And also the, um, the role and involvement of women since the commercialization of the aerospace industry. And it is mostly uh, because these topics are very important to a perspective that we need to see how the history has led us here and how we can actually bring more women to this industry, bring more awareness uh, to high school students, especially girls, to be successful in STEM education. So it was really important, and it is actually one of the aims that SDS Canada, Space Tourism Society of Canada, are uh, trying to bring to the community and the groups and the partners. You just mentioned something that I was really interested in hearing more about, uh, not to not to go away from the ISDC event, but to hear about the Space Tourism Society of Canada, that you're president of that organization. Can you tell us some of what your organization's all about, what uh, your goals are? Sure. Space Tourism Society Canada was uh, launched, actually, uh, in 2009. And for a couple of years, not active that much, but it was relaunched again in 2013 and I became the president. The main mission is to bring all the uh, people that are interested in, in this area, all the enthusiasts um, on a very local, national, and, and also a global and international level, mostly to inspire, bring more creativity and innovation 
uh, in a world that we are actually growing exponentially. The Space Tourism Society Canada is also supporting students and engineers and people and young entrepreneurs that are in this field to the industry. They are introducing them to the industry along with bringing more awareness about space tourism and finally making it available for the public to go to the space as a space tourist, not mainly as an astronaut. You don't have to be an astronaut to go there or uh, to be through all those competitive stages. And eventually, hopefully, we're going to achieve that. I think we get closer and closer to that day, and that has to be encouraging for people that have uh, been outside and looked up at the, at the night sky and thought to themselves, oh, I wish I could be there. I wish I could, uh, I wish I could do something more than, than what our society today says is the norm. That's absolutely right. Back to uh, ISDC, looking at the tracks, I see some name tags for uh, some of the other program sessions like Living in Space and Mars, uh, NASA Exploration, which has a number of subtracks, um, the Space Experience, Space Policy, uh, Space Settlement, Transhumanism. Pick any, any of those that you'd like to give us a little little bit of a picture as to what people would be hearing about in, in some of these other tracks, if you would, please. Right. Um, so the um, ISDC tracks, they are specifically uh, related to the, to the name of the track. For example, the Space Enterprise, it actually discovers and uh, mostly discusses the business plans, projects, and the concepts of the potential projects and competitions that uh, they might actually hold in order to bring the business aspect and enterprise, enterprise aspect of base. It is into the government, public, and private level, and they mostly consider the financial issues, like how feasible it's going to be to go to the, to the Mars or to to go to the moon if we go with this business plan. And uh, sometimes they hold some competitions or whatsoever. Um, uh, another track that I can actually make an example of is the Space Experience track. Um, the Space Experience track is basically covering the uh, experiences, uh, people that have experiences in the, in, in the um, space itself, like astronauts. It is uh, also uh, regarding the ar architecture and space architects, uh, sometimes fashion designers, and it is mostly discusses the future of uh, space tourism. For example, hotels in the space, like musicians, graphic designers, movie stars, production, uh, and so forth. So space and media track uh, is basically uh, showcases uh, movies uh, for the entire day for, uh, during the conference, different movies and uh, different directors from Hollywood, movies such as uh, Oblivion, Gravity, just to showcase how these effects have actually been created. And in some cases, the directors and uh, executive directors are also taking the questions. That looks really interesting, and that's something that really I I think is does get people's attention when they see a movie that gets them thinking about uh, space being a little more real. That's correct. Hollywood, uh, as I would say, 
is helping for bringing that expectations of the public uh, to that level that it is possible to go to space. Uh, with movies like Gravity, Armageddon, it shows how interesting it might be. I remember uh, the movie Contact. When I saw it, was, I was so inspired by and um, I, I, it actually made me think a lot. And it was very inspiring uh, for me to think of uh, space um, as, a, as a career to, to follow. And, and today, when I see myself uh, working in this industry, I realize that uh, that movie was uh, one of the actually uh, inspiration that I had to be in this industry. So it is really important um, in that point of view. It is worth a million dollars to be able to look back and to find a moment that really turned on the light for you, to, to realize that, you know, looking back in, in life, that this was something that made a difference. This is what changed my direction forever. I think one of the phenomenal things with this ISDC uh, event, the Space Renaissance, is the fact that it runs four days. It's May 14th through the 18th of 2014. It's at the Sheraton Gateway Hotel in Los Angeles. And anybody that wants to get a little or a lot of inspiration needs consider it. And if you miss it this year, keep up with the nationalspacesociety.org and look for you know future events. Look to have your life changed. And how can people um, learn more about the Space Tourism Society Canada or and anything else that you're a part of that uh, you'd like for people to maybe follow along online? Sure. Space Tourism Society Canada has a Twitter account, uh, STS-Canada. And also I myself, I tweet A-Z-A-M-S-H-A-G-H-A-G-H-I. It's Islam Shagagi. Um, I'm also active to LinkedIn and other social media but I tweet better, so for more information, you can also visit sds-canada.ca for more updates. It's been fun talking with you. I know that we're getting close to the ISDC 14 event. I hope everything goes fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. At the end, I also want to uh, thank our sponsors for the ISDC 2014 Um uh, through our friends of Apollo, Mitsubishi, Entertainment, uh, Chantel Lewis, MPLB, Kepler, and all the uh, dear friends and supporters that actually brought us to this level of success for this year and um, the SES Canada's activities. And thank you so much again for the opportunity and interview. Our pleasure, Azam. Thank you. Once again, a big thank you to Mark and Azam for coming on as well and uh, talking with us here about ISDC. So that brings the end to all of the California space activities that went out in May that all of us went around and got some great information for you. And we hope you enjoyed both of these parts and not just the Space Fest experience, but some of the other events as well that we got to talk about. Um, and thank you, of course, to Mark and the interview, and thank you for joining us as well, Gene McCulka. I had a blast, Sawyer, um, and again, hats off to everybody that was involved in putting together Space Fest 6. I am so looking forward to Space Fest 7 and um, reacquainting myself with some folks that uh, I've, I met uh, through uh, the infamous Brit Army. So uh, again, folks, thanks so much. 
Oh yeah, thank you to everybody at Space Fest, the entire Brit Army, everyone who helped organize it in any part of it, whether it be official or unofficial event. Gene, glad you could make it this year. And hopefully more of you can make it next year as well, because this is an event not to be missed, in case you couldn't tell by the last two years that we've done two-part episodes on it. For more information, of course, check out the website spacefest.info, and more will be updated on that as SpaceFest 7 approaches once again early next year in 2015, and we'll keep you up to date on that as well. But this is an amazing event that's definitely worth going to if you pick one space event out of the year, because these are astronauts that you may never get to meet again, and some talks you'll never get to hear anywhere else. Definitely worth it, and again, link to that in the show notes. Busy show notes this week, so check them all out. And of course, to thank you for listening. We apologize for that um, off-air time uh, prior to these last two episodes, but obviously we've been busy getting a lot of information, and now we are back up on the air again. Our summer hiatus is over, so we hope you'll stay tuned throughout the summer months and throughout the rest of the year, or at least until the next episode. But until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are. Thank you.